0: You know, every year um, this comes, you know, every year we celebrate New Year's, and it's kind of like Christmas and Easter. You kind of think to yourself, now, what can I say this year that's going to be different and inspiring than all the previous years? And um, I I remember growing up, um, every new year, they would have a slogan, you know. I remember I was, I don't know, 14, 15, I think 14, 15 somewhere, 1995. Logan was uh, the, the slogan was, uh, "I'm glad to be alive in '95." And then in 1997, I don't remember '96, but '97 it was, "Going to heaven." In '97. Then '98 was I don't know what was '98, but, but I, I remember what 90, yeah, I remember what '98 was. It was the year of jubilee. And so we was all celebrating Jubilee. Uh, because somehow it was 50 years after Israel became a nation, so everybody was celebrating Jubilee and the season of freedom. 2000, we all thought we were going to die, so we were storing up our beanie weenies and and our Fruit Loops, and we thought we were going to die. And uh, at you know midnight on, how many remembers where you were, well, midnight and when it struck 2000 on, five people. I say, help me remember where you were at 2000, all right? That was 22 years ago. And uh, I uh, remember that we were afraid. I was a teenager then, but I remember thinking our computers are going to crash, and we were all going to be faced with the mark of the beast in 2000. I just want to say all those preachers that wrote all those books that made all that money, shame on you none of it happened. Can I hear an amen? I mean, you, you had all kinds of people making money and writing books, but none of it happened. I remember in two thousand and I don't know two thousand and four. You know, we had another slogan. The year uh, two thousand. I know two thousand eleven was the year of activation. I remember preaching on the year of activation. I don't know what we were activating, but I guess we were excited that it was the year of activation. <laughs> 2014. That was four years I was pastoring this church on Annie Baxter. I remember getting up saying, "This is the year of." Uh, I think it was the year of um, increase. You know, 2016. You know, I didn't even actually preach a vision Sunday that that year because I don't know what happened, but I didn't didn't. So, my point is is that every year we have a different slogan. Every year we throw something out. And listen, that's not bad. I'm certainly not knocking anybody that's doing it. 2020, all the preachers in America, most of them had the year of 2020 vision. You know, remember that? Boy, didn't we see things clearly in 2020, I know? I remember I was looking on my Facebook memories the other day on the 2019, December 31st, 2019. And I posted something that the year 2020 was going to be the best year the church has ever experienced, and we're going to experience revival. Boy, I thought, boy, I better be careful what I post this year. But maybe the Lord is preparing us for revival. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe we're wrestling because God is getting ready to change our identity and we're going to walk differently. Can I hear an amen? So so I'm not knocking any of our slogans. I'm not knocking any of that. You know why I'm not knocking it? Because the world is negative, and sometimes we just got to be positive, and we got to be optimistic. We got to speak the blessings of God. We got to declare the things of God. So I'm not knocking any of it. I'm for it thank God for it. We got to stay positive. We got to stay optimistic. But my point is this, is that no matter how many slogans we have and no matter how many things we decree and declare, there are some basic things that we got to get under our belt. There are just some basic things that we just got to know. There are some basic things that we just got to be. And this is what I want to tell you this morning. I want to tell you two things. Number one, the vision for 2022, the the thing that I think that God wants us to do in 2022, I am not going to share with you this morning, nor am I going to share it with you this month. Because I have taken some time of reflection, prayer, and I am sincerely praying and reflecting about what is the direction of this church And I don't want to get up here and take the microphone and say a bunch of slogans and say we're going to do this and we're going to do that and blah, 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 blah. I've decided not to do that. I've decided that I want to consecrate myself in a time of quietness and prayer and meditation and reflection because I really want to hear God's voice. I don't want to get up here and just say we're going to do this and say we're going to do this because, listen, there are some things we said we were going to do that we've never done. And I don't want to get up here and say a bunch of stuff because I don't want to be a person... Of, of uh, I want to be a person of integrity. If I say we're going to do something, I want to do it. So I don't want to just get up here and say a bunch of stuff and ramble a bunch of stuff and say we're going to do this because there are legitimately things we've said we were going to do that we've never done, and I have wrestled that in prayer because I don't want to be known as a pastor that says things and don't do things. I don't want to be known as a church that says we're going to do something and we don't want to do it. So I've decided this year in 2022 that the pastor of this church, which is myself, I'm going to devote myself to, the contemplation of reflection and prayer, and I'm going to see what God has to say for this church. So I'm not, that's not what I'm going to do today. So I'm not going to do that. That's on the back burner, all right? So I will eventually say and provide vision and direction, but I'll put that on the back burner. I'm going to wait just a little bit. Right now, I'm going to talk about your personal life. I'm going to talk about your personal life. I'm going to talk about where you're going as a person. And listen, if there's one thing I want to tell you as you start your new year off, this is what I want to tell you. I want you to be a better Christian. I'm talking to you personally. I'm not talking to as a church and what we're doing as a church. I'm talking to you as an individual. And I'm asking you as your spiritual leader, I want you to contemplate about being a better Christian. I want you to think about what ways that you can represent Jesus better. I want you to think about what are some ways that I can represent Jesus better to this world. What are some ways that I could be the best husband that I can be, and the best father that I can be, and the best Christian that I can be? Before you're anything else, before you're a father, before you're a husband, before you're a pastor, before you are a coworker, whatever, you are a Christian first. And there is nothing, there is nothing, uh, this thing doesn't exist between the spiritual and the secular. And that's what America has done. We have compartmentalized our lives. We have said that we are going to be religious on Sundays and Wednesdays, and yet throughout the rest of the week everything else is secular. And let me just say this loud and clear because I think it is noteworthy for me to say this. As a Christian, there is no such thing as a separation between what is spiritual and what is secular. That does not exist. I want to say that again. As a Christian, there is no such thing as a separation between what is secular and what is spiritual. And that's the problem that we have gotten ourselves into. That's the problem our nation has. You see, we, we 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 have deprogrammed God out of our schools, out of our nation, out of our culture, because we have compartmentalized things. We have said that we are Christians on a couple days of the week. This is how we conduct our life on a couple days of the week. But everything else is secular. So we follow the trend of the culture. We raise our children according to the world. We spend our money because this is what the culture says you need to do. This is how the culture says you need to dress. This is what the culture says you need to say. This is what the culture says you need to act. And so therefore the church is not countercultural because we have compartmentalized everything. And I'm saying to you as your pastor, there is no such thing as the spiritual and the secular according to the Christian. As a Christian, everything you do is spiritual. Everything you do is spiritual. In other words, everything you do has the potential to affect your life and everybody else's life around you. In other words, everything you do is a seed. Everything you do is a seed. The way you talk to people is a seed. You're planting seeds every day because your life is spiritual. Everything you do is spiritual. There's no such thing as the spiritual and the secular. Now, why am I saying this? I'm saying this because if you can change the way you view that, you can change your worldview. You see, if you change your worldview to a biblical worldview, to a Christian worldview, you will begin to start interpreting things of this life through the lens of the Bible and not through the lens of insecurity and the lens of humanism and the lens of the culture, but the lens of what the Bible says. When your dead relative is dead and they bury them six feet beneath the ground, you have a Christian worldview which states that person will spend eternity somewhere, either in heaven or in hell. That is a Christian worldview. I don't vote abortion. I don't vote for people who promote abortion because my worldview states that every person is made in the image of God. So therefore, when I vote, I don't vote my conscience. I vote what the Bible says because I have a Bible worldview. The way I raise my children, it's not it's not up in the air if my children should go to church on Sunday morning because I don't have a humanistic worldview. I have a biblical worldview, which states that the gathering of Christians are important. We shouldn't forsake it. And the problem is, is that we have people who are interpreting things through a humanistic cultural standpoint. We don't we don't we 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 spend our money. The way we feel and what the culture dictates to us to spend it, not what the Bible says, because we don't got a Bible, biblical worldview. How do you interpret the war- wars? How do you interpret? How do you interpret the government and the president? What's your worldview? Do you pray for them or do you criticize them? How do you interpret the events of life? And that is why, number one, I'm asking you, let's be a better Christian. I'm asking you, how how do I become a better Christian? You become a better Christian when you start changing your worldview and the lens by which you look at things. You begin to look at the lens, you begin to start interpreting things through a biblical worldview. You begin to interpret things. You begin to interpret stem cell research and abortion and homosexuality and all these topics and controversial topics of our modern day. You begin to interpret them through the lens of the Bible and not through the lens of your feelings or your humanistic worldview. That's not how we interpret things. So my thing, my admiration to you today, I am speaking to you as a father to a child. I am a spiritual father and I'm speaking to you today as your spiritual father and I'm pleading with you as we start the year 2022 I'm asking you the very first thing we need to focus on let's become better Christians let's become better men of God let's become better women of God let's put God back in our families let's put God back in our finances let's put God back into our relationships let's be better men and women of God that wherever we go We represent Jesus and we represent his church. And when somebody looks at us, they say, I want to be like you because there's something about you that is different. I want to be a better Christian. I'm not getting up here and telling you another slogan or another motto or let's repeat this and let's do this. Because, listen, there's something different between intellectual knowledge and experiential knowledge. The Pharisees had intellectual knowledge, but they didn't have an experience with God. There's one thing to have an intellectual understanding, but you have to have more than just an intellectual understanding. You have to have an experiential knowledge. You have to have an experience with the Lord. So number one, as we go into the year 2022, I am asking you and pleading with you the number one thing we need to focus on as individuals, not as a church, as an individual, we need to focus on being better Christians, being better men and women of God. And how do I do that? You do that by, number one, changing your worldview. How do you interpret the events of life? How do you interpret the things that's going on in the world? You interpret it through the lens of Scripture. Your worldview is biblical. Your worldview is Christian. And when you do that, it helps you cope with tragedy. It helps you cope with trauma. It helps you cope with the things that traumatize us because your worldview is not humanistic. Your worldview is biblical. I've stood over many people who were dying. And I've held their hand, lots of, too many people to count, and I've held their hand, lots of people, as they took their last breath. And there is something different about a Christian dying than an unbeliever dying. Because when a Christian dies, those people who are gathered around their bedside knows that they're not looking through a humanistic lens, they're looking through a Bible lens, and the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Bible says that death is defeated. The Bible says that one day we will be reunited together in the endless ages of eternity. The Bible says that death has been defeated and the grave has been defeated and you and I will live on forever. That's the worldview that I have. you got to change your worldview. When you get your checkbook out, you look at your checkbook and you acknowledge that God gave you that job and he can take it away. And so I honor God with my money because my worldview is the Bible. When I date somebody, I don't date them because they look good. That helps. But I date them because, number one, I'm spirit-driven, and I'm not passion-driven. In other words... Are they compatible? Are they a Christian? Do you think a Mormon would date a non-Mormon? Absolutely not. Do you think a Muslim would date a non-Muslim? Absolutely not. And we got flaky Christians dating people just because they're just You need to get with a man of God and a woman. You say, Pastor, I don't know where they're at. You need to wait. There are 7 billion people in the world. God has somebody for you. One time I was counseling somebody. This girl said, boy, I'm just in love. I'm in love with Paco. You all heard me say this. I said, Paco, you in love with Paco? Yeah, I'm in love with Paco. Does Paco have a job? No. Does Paco, is Paco a Christian? No. But, Pastor, I think I could change him if I can get with him. If the Holy Ghost can't change him, you can't change them. Wait. Are y'all still with me? Are y'all still with me? You gotta change your worldview. If you wanna be a better Christian, you gotta change your worldview. Your worldview has to switch from humanism to the Bible. You gotta start interpreting things out of the lens of Scripture, not through the lens of humanism. What is humanism? Humanism is self, the self exaltation of self. I am my own authority, I determine what is good. And I determine what is best for my family. And I determine what is best. No, no, change the worldview. And just look at our culture. We send our children to universities that deprogram. We're sending our children to Babylon. And Babylon is programming our children that the Bible is not true and God is not true. And there's an alternative lifestyle. And then we're wondering what's wrong with our next generation. It's time we start changing our worldview. That's why the Mormon church sends all of their kids on a two-year mission and so they go around the world preaching the Mormon doctrine for two years because they realize if we can indoctrinate them two years out of high school, we have them for the rest of our life. Because their worldview is Mormonism. So everything they do is from the Book of Mormon. They train their children. As a matter of fact, If I understand this correctly, they drop their children off every morning at the Mormon church so they can go through catechism before they take them to the public school because their worldview is we got to make sure the next generation is trained in Mormonism so we can raise up more missionaries to spread the Mormon gospel. See, your worldview is so very important. And how you become a better Christian. So if your worldview is the same as the world, you'll never become better. It's not being better than people, it's becoming the best that you can be for God. Change your worldview to what the Bible says. Now, how do you change your worldview? You've got to read the Bible. I asked you last year, the Bible reading challenge. I know the year before we had 30 people that made a commitment to read through the Bible. I'm not sure how many people read through the Bible this year, but I'm going to challenge you again to read the Bible again. Let it become a part of your life. Get it inside of you. There's an app that's called The Bible Project. If you will go to your phone and download the Bible Project, it's free. It's a new app that was just created to help people study the Bible, understand the Bible, and read through the Bible. Old and New Testament called the Bible Project. If you'll take a few moments today or this week and download it on your phone. It has everything you need to help you understand the Bible, read through the Bible, and dissect the Scriptures. It's a wonderful thing. I'm asking you to be intentional about your spiritual growth. If you're not intentionally moving forward, you're unintentionally moving back. You've got to be intentional about your growth. You've got to be intentional about your prayer life. You've got to be intentional about your Bible reading. You've got to be intentional about getting it inside of you. Because if you're not intentional about getting inside of you, there's... There's no way that your worldview can change from humanism to a biblical worldview if you don't get the scriptures inside of you. So I'm asking you, get the scriptures inside of you. Read the Bible. Let it get inside of you. Let it become a part of your life. And everything you do, let it ooze the Bible. Let it ooze the Bible. Have you ever been around somebody that just quoted scripture and read the Bible and talked about the Bible? There is something different about people like that. You wanna be like people like that. The Bible does something to you, it inspires you, it, it it lifts you up, it brings a sense of freedom to you, it brings a sense of relief to you because the Bible is a living book. Listen, if your view is humanism, then you're gonna look at the Bible as just another book. But if you change your worldview to a Bible, worldview to a biblical worldview, then you will start viewing the Bible as just not a book, but as a living book. That every time you open up the Bible, it is a living book that is living and breathing and active to change your life. And the reason that some people don't get the Bible in them is because your worldview is you look at the Bible as just another book. But I'm telling you that if you look at through the lens of the Bible, you will see the Bible as just not a book, but you'll see the Bible as a living book that has the potential to change your life. That's why even if you listen to the genealogy, those boring genealogies in the book of Leviticus and all those other books, those just boring genealogies, I understand it's boring, but let it play it to you because those words are living and those words are active, and what's happening on the inside of you is greater than what's happening to you the Bible inside of you. You see, this year I'm asking you to be a better Christian. I'm asking you, how do I do that? you got to change your worldview. Number two, how do I become a better Christian? You become a better Christian. Well, number two, I just said this, you got to be intentional about the spiritual disciplines of your life. you got to be intentional about prayer. You got to be intentional about Bible reading. You have got to be intentional about witnessing to people. You got to be intentional. We don't do these things to be saved; we do these things out of, as as a result of our relationship with the Lord. Number three, to be a better Christian, you got to learn on. You got to learn that you've got to move forward and quit rereading the last chapter of your life. Sometimes we want to be better. But we can't be better because we're always reading the last chapter of our life. We're stuck in the last chapter. We're stuck in the last paragraph. We're stuck in the last sentence. And the enemy will use the last chapter of your life, and he will rehearse it over and over and over and over. And it's impossible for us to be a better Christian. It's impossible for us to witness. It's impossible for us to pray because we feel so guilty and shameful over our past. And if you want to be a better Christian, you've got to understand something. You've got to learn to move on even when you don't got closure over things. You've got to decide that you're going to move on even when I don't have closure, even when things don't look good. I've got to decide to move on because my past cannot determine my future. God determines my future. I'm going to be intentional about my life. I'm going to make goals. I'm going to write things down. I'm going to pray over things. If it doesn't happen, that's alright, but I'm going to have a plan. I'm going to have goals. I'm going to have a purpose. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to stretch forward. I'm going to struggle forward. I return to. I refuse to go back because what's inside of me is greater than my past. God said I want to put a period, but you keep going back, putting a comma. Let God put a period in the last chapter of your life. Close the chapter and Move on to the next chapter of your life and see what God wants to do in your life. It's impossible to be a better Christian because we're always rehearsing what happened in the past. You know why? Because the enemy wants to take the joy of salvation out of your life so you don't have any joy anymore because you're so so battled and so wounded from the past. Let me say this. Battles are good. Bondages are not. It's OK to battle some things, but if you're living in bondage, it's not. Battles are good, but bondages are not. Say that with me. Battles are good, but bondages are not. Battles are good, but bondages are not. Battles are good, but bondages are not. Sometimes you've got to battle in life, and that's not bad. Sometimes you've got to struggle. That's not bad just as long as you're struggling in the right direction, just as long as you're battling in the right direction. Refuse to live in the bondage of your past, and that is what God said to Joshua. Today, I have removed removed the reproach of Egypt from off of you, Joshua. If you're going to go into the promised land, I got to remove the reproach. I got to remove the stench. I got to remove the fragrance of the past off of you, so you can move on to the future. I'm asking you, as your pastor, I'm pleading with you to become a better Christian. How do I become a better Christian? Number one, you got to change your worldview. You gotta have a Bible worldview, not a humanistic worldview. You got to interpret the things of this life through the lens of the Bible, not through the lens of the authority of yourself. Number two, I'm asking, you if you're gonna be a better Christian, I'm saying you gotta be intentional about your growth. You gotta have, you gotta have times of prayer. You gotta have times of devotion. You gotta have times of memorization of the word. Are you reading a book? Or are you on Facebook? How much time do you spend on Facebook and Instagram compared to the Word of God or reading a book that can help you be healthy mentally and emotionally? How healthy are you mentally? How healthy are you emotionally? Some of us love Jesus, but we're not mature mentally or emotionally. And let me say this, and let me say it loud and clear, that your emotional maturity shows how spiritual you are. You cannot be emotionally Unhealthy and spiritually mature. Your spiritual maturity is equal to your emotional health. We have people getting angry and upset and throwing things and cussing and screaming. You're you're not spiritual, you're carnal because your emotional health is equal to your spiritual health. You got to be intentional about growing, you got to be intentional. About growing. If you don't like to read a book, get your iPhone, it's called a smartphone, and let it read it to you. Download the book. You'll be intentional about it. You say, Pastor, I don't like my life. Nobody Nobody can change your life but you. And let me just push the envelope. God is not going to come down and change your life either. So you can either be powerful or pitiful. You can sit there and complain about your life and what's going on in your life and what you don't like about life and how you don't like it. Or you can make a decision to pull up your big boy pants and make a decision that you're not going to wallow in self-pity and you're going to be powerful this year and you're going to take a step towards the right direction. I want you to be a better Christian. I want you to change your worldview. I want you to be intentional about spiritual disciplines. Number three, I want you to quit rereading the last chapter of your life. I want you to move on. I want you to dust yourself off. I want you to move on because you cannot move on and progress spiritually if you're always rehearsing the wounds of the past. You see, real victory. It's not what you have reached. It's about what you've got over. It's not just about having a breakthrough. It's about having a stay through. Not just getting a breakthrough just to get it. I want to stay through this thing. See? What about it, my friend? What about it, my friend? The last thing. To be a better Christian you got to learn to be content wherever you're at, but never be complacent. To be a better Christian, you got to learn how to be content where you're at, but not be complacent. It's almost like an oxymoron, isn't it? I'm content, but I'm not complacent. In other words, I'm content in where I'm at in the Lord, but I'm not complacent. In other words, there's movement in my life. Yes, I'm happy with what I have. Do I desire more? Yes, but if the Lord doesn't do anything else in my life, I'm happy and content right where I'm at, but I'm not complacent because inside of me, there's a desire to grow. Inside of me, there's a desire to be better. Inside of me, there's a desire to reach for the stars, and if I can't reach the stars, I'll reach for the moon, but I'm not going to sit here and be complacent because if we're not content, Will become envious of everybody else around us. So that's why being content but not complacent is a healthy mindset to have. You see, I'm asking you to be a better Christian. I'm asking you. I'm sorry. I have one more point. Number the last point is to be a better Christian. You got to learn how to be spirit driven. You got to be led and not driven. Say that with me. I got to be led and not driven. Say it again. I got to be led and not driven. Say it again. I got to be led and not driven. So the last point is this, to be a better Christian, I got to be led and not driven. What does that mean? Led symbolizes partnership. While driven means more of a singleness. I do it myself. You see, if you're going to be a better Christian, you got to realize there are some things in your life that you can't make happen. And some of us is really driven. I mean, we're really driven. And we, we, we want to drive it, and we want to drive it home. We want to make it happen. And it's all right to have that attitude. But listen, you can't make it always happen. There are some doors that will never be open unless God opens the door. There are some things that will never transpire unless God does it. Yes, you can be driven, you can be excited, you can quote the scriptures, but there are some things that is in God's sovereign rule that only God could do it and only God could open the door. And some of us get really restless because we're trying to open doors that God said it's not my will or my timing to open that door yet. And so you've got to come to a place in your Christian life where you are led, and led means there's a partnership that I am being led by the Holy Spirit, I'm content where I'm at. And if he opens the door, I'm going to be driven and walk through the door. But I'm not going to sit here and try to knock a door down that God has not called me to knock down. Seen it all my life. People dri- so drift. Get up, move, jump here, jump there, quit this, move here, go, drip, do- drift, drive, 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 drive. And they just circle around the mountain over and over. There is something happens when you are consistent. And we have people who are consistent in their un consistent in their inconsistency. This is January the 2nd, so I'm sure that all the gyms in Joplin is packed out because everybody's starting a diet today. Oh, I'm sorry, it starts tomorrow, it's Monday. But did you know I read an article? of people who start the gym at the new year don't finish it. The point is, humanity, we don't want to be consistent because we don't want to be uncomfortable. I'm not talking about the gym. I'm talking about the principle of being consistent. Can you be consistent even if you don't get the miracle? Can you be consistent even if the prayer doesn't seem like it's answered? Can you... Be consistent even when people do you dirty and stab you in the back? Can you still be consistent in your walk? Can you still be faithful to church? Can you still be faithful in prayer? Can you still be faithful in Bible reading even when you don't understand it? Can you still be faithful and consistent even when it feels like you're not making progress? Because I'm telling you, if you're consistent at the right thing for the right amount of time, you will see not only a breakthrough, but you will see joy like you've never seen before. Remember, remember, Paul said, don't muzzle the mouth of the ox that treads out the corn. You know, in Jewish times, they had animals that did their labor. They didn't have machinery like we have today, so they used animals for their for their jobs and employment. And one of the things that an ox would do is an ox would have a yoke. And they would put, now what is a, a yoke? A yoke is something that would tame an animal. Because some animals were wild, and they would put a yoke up on their neck, and it would tame the animal, but the yoke would be attached to a tamer animal. So there would be a tame animal and an untamed animal, and they would put a yoke on it. So therefore, it would tame the animal. And so an ox would have a yoke up on its neck, and guess what the ox would do? And one of the jobs of an ox would to be tread out the corn because they use corn for many different things, and so they would have an ox that would tread out the corn. But what would happen is with the ox, when it would tread out the corn, the ox would eat the corn. He would eat the corn. So the ox would go in a circle with a yoke around its neck, and the ox, as it's treading out the corn with the yoke on its neck, the ox would eat some of the corn. So what would happen eventually would the neck of the ox would swell up. I mean, the ox would get really big and really fat around the neck. And guess what would happen? After days and months of eating corn and gaining weight, the fatness around the neck of the ox would break off the yoke, and the ox would go free. The point is, that analogy in Jewish life is the same analogy I want to pinpoint to you today, is that when you are faithful in the little things of life, even though it seems like all you're doing is going in a circle. All I'm doing is going in a circle, Pastor. I'm going to the same church. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm reading the same Bible. I'm just going in a circle. I want change. Don't jump the ship. Don't jump the ship. Still be consistent. Be faithful. Be faithful. God notices faithfulness. God notices consistency. So the ox would be consistent as it treads out the corn, and it would eat some of the corn while the neck begins to grow. Consistency caused the ox to be free, the yoke would break. And I am wondering how close have we been to freedom and deliverance and the next level in our life because we refuse to be consistent in the small things of our life. It's kind of like... 4 years ago i went on this weight loss journey lost 83 pounds 83 it was the most difficult thing i've ever done but you know what i did now i'm talking about me because this is my story it was june 14th 2018 i remember the day i remember the day getting up going into my bathroom weighing myself and i made a decision as i looked at the number i will never go back. I will be consistent. i changed my worldview. I'm saying, nope, no, 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 not me. You know what I did? Every day I wrote everything down. Piece of candy, I wrote it down. Everything. First week, one pound. Second week, one ounce. Third week, one ounce. Fourth week, one ounce. Fifth week, just an ounce. Three pounds in six weeks. But you know, I just kept consistent. Consistently. I felt like I was going in a circle, but I'm going to be consistent. Until eventually, it just started coming off. What would happen if we just be consistent in prayer? What would happen if we're consistent in our Bible reading? What would be happen if we're consistent in our giving and our witness and our determination and our fervency? What would happen if we just, with everything within us, we decide that this year, I want to be the best Christian that I can be, and I'm going to be consistent even in the little things in my life? What happened? What would happen if we made a decision Quit jumping the ship when it get got hard. What would happen if we just made a decision? I ain't going to quit. I'm not here to make you feel bad about anything. I'm telling you something that I've lived. I'm telling you my story. I'm telling you that when I was a little boy and I saw my parents do drugs, and I saw my uncle hang himself I saw my aunt die of black heroin where black stuff was come out of her mouth. I remember when my family was homeless and I had to take my mom food across the street to feed her. I made a decision as a little boy. I didn't want to live that way. I made a decision as a little boy. My life is going to be different. I made a decision I'm not going to follow the culture. I made a decision I was going to be a man of God. I made a decision that I was going to rise above it. I made a decision that come hell or high water, I was going to give everything to Jesus despite what people said, what they thought about me. You could think I'm a nerd, but in the end, I'm going to answer to him and not you, and I'm going to be everything I've called to be. If What would happen? What would happen? What would happen if you made a decision in your marriage things is going to be different. I can't change them, but I can change me. What would happen if you made a decision that this year, no more talk? Tired of talking about experiencing God. Tired of talking about reading the Bible, going to the next level. Why don't you go to the next level? Why don't you make a decision to write it down? Say, this year, my life is going to be different. I'm asking you, in closing, I want you to be a better Christian. 18 years of pastoring, this is what I've heard. I want a new car. I want a new house. I'd like to have a better job. I wish so-and-so would quit talking about me. Lord, give me this. Lord, would you please speak to so-and-so and tell them not to do that? Have you ever noticed how selfish prayers have become? I don't know if I've ever heard. I'm standing in church. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say. I want to be a man of prayer. Before I'm a better husband, better father, better employee, I want to be. I want to be a better Christian. I want to be the best Christian that I can be. That's dangerous praying. Because the flesh says, Ah, That's to be a better employee so you can get a pay raise. You don't get a paycheck when you're a man of God and a man of prayer, because nobody sees it. But it's in the secret places. It's in those deep dark secret That's why God said to Joshua, before you cross over the Jordan, right after they crossed over, before you enter the promised land, Joshua, you take all your men before you cross over, before you get into the place I told you to go, before you do that, get all the men over here and circumcise every one of them before they cross over. You know what circumcision is? It's something that's done in the private places of your body. And God was saying before you get over to where I want you to go, you better let me do some private things in your life. Before we think about going over to the next level, God has to circumcise us in the secret places of our life. It's in those secret places. God does the work. It's in those secret places. God birthed something in us. You say, Pastor, I got a ministry. Pastor, I want to do something great. I commend you for it. That's wonderful. Go to the prayer closet shut the door. That He may see you in secret, that He may reward you openly. Let God let, be led. Don't be driven. Led. Try to open it up. to be a better Christian. What about you? I said, what about you? Amen.